Welcome to the People's Revolution podcast. This is the space where we share stories from activists around the world. We hope that these stories inspire you to act locally as we share globally. Welcome to the People's Revolution podcast. Today we have Alejandro Gutierrez of Edmonton, Alberta. He is an activist, an artist, and an all-around badass. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming. I'm excited today. We have um, a little bit of a different show um, because we're going to talk about the history, the activism, the art, and, and the thoughts. And I think that's that's just going to be great. Um, is there anything that you'd like to say before we dive into it? Uh, no, I'm stoked. Uh, I've never really done something like this before, um, but I think it's pretty cool. So I'm glad to uh, be invited. Awesome. I would just like to dive right in to the history of you as a person. Um, I'm going to open up the floor for you to start. Um, well... Like you said, my name is Alejandro Gutierrez. Uh, I was born in Los Angeles, but I didn't really live there for too long. Like when I was three, my mom took me back to El Salvador, which is where we're from. And uh, I lived there till I was 13. So that was 1997. And that's when we moved to Canada. Um, My mom and I were pretty much the last ones of my close family to move here. It started with my grandma in the late 80s and then like uncles and aunts and cousins and even my mom's brothers like moved way before us. I think my mom just kind of didn't want to. She like really liked El Salvador. And uh, but finally, like it got to a point where it's like, yeah, we should probably go. It's not too safe here. So I think we applied in like 92 and finally by 97, um, we got our permanent residency and we moved here and I've been here since. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say is the biggest influence that you took from El Salvador here when it comes to your political mindset or your activism mindset? Well, I mean, I was only 13 when I moved. So, you know, like you start forming some ideas on how you feel, maybe politically, maybe not. Some people maybe not at 13. But I think that the reason why I was already starting to think about that. It's because I did live through the Civil War for a few years. Um, The Civil War was from 1980 to 92. Uh, So, you know, I was there from, yeah, like 87 to 97. You know, so for the last few years, uh, it was definitely something that, you know, you couldn't escape. It was all around you. Mind you, we lived in the capital city of San Salvador. And uh, if I remember correctly, it didn't quite like the war didn't quite affect the main city until like the last year, pretty much. Uh, Most of it was fought like in the outskirts in like small towns. Um, You know, so obviously, I think like if you don't start forming political views after literally seeing a civil war outside your window, then I don't know, (laughs) then you're really good at escaping. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, but uh, yeah, so. Like we had, like, it was crazy. Like there was like, like helicopters, like bombing right outside the window 
Uh, we had like the gorillas come into our house. They were looking for, I remember like one of them had gotten shot from like my neighborhood. So they were going house by house, like clearing it, you know, and uh, they came inside and like, yeah, we were hella scared, but they were super nice. They were just like, Hey, like, you know, we're just looking to make sure this, like none of the military hiding here, you know? And, and they're like, we, they're like, we can quickly tell that you guys are just caught in the middle. And they gave us like, they gave us like, um, hence you know what to do they're like yeah put your mattresses against the windows and then like they won't blow up and like told us what time is safe to go get food and shit like that you know that was my first impression to seeing a, an actual like guerrilla army you know like right in front of me so that must have been in like 91 or 1990 something like that and like at the time like because i was like what like six or something at the time like it, it seemed like you know it, it was just pretty surreal but as i grew up it, it didn't leave my mind. It like it, it was like in there, you know, and and to this day, like I think about it constantly and, and how sometimes when you sit there and, and like you're like, hey, why do I why do I think the way I do? Why do I want these political ideas to be forward? And then it always goes back to like those days, you know, like seeing the actual fight outside my window. Mm hmm. And can you give everyone a little bit of context about what the fight was about? Um, I mean, I'm, this is just for what I know and what I read and stuff, right? Like, I'm sure it's more complicated than, than summarizing it, but, uh, it was just inequality, you know, uh, El Salvador political history has been like crap from like day one, like years and years of like military rule, uh, you know, they'll have like a free election and then like within months there'll be a coup and the yeah the military will just take over again for another like 20 years and then try it again have another free election doesn't work you know it's been like that forever so as you can imagine with that kind of government ruling obviously as we know uh, the people that suffer the most are minorities indigenous communities you know poor people and just the working class in general uh so just I guess like it just boiled over, you know, uh, they've been trying like since the, since the thirties, you know, there was the, one of the first attempts at, at revolution. I mean, it failed horribly and a lot of indigenous people died, uh, but it's been, you know, they, they just, it's been boiling over since, you know, and, and in the eighties, I think maybe because they were influenced by other revolutions that had succeeded, like in the fifties with Cuba, right. And then I think like in Nicaragua, the Sandinistas were, I think, doing pretty all right in the 80s. So I think they just, it, a lot of the influence of that helped them, you know, actually launch the first attack and, and start the civil war. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. And so from all of that, what kind of political ideology or what kind of activist mindset was born from those experiences? Um, well, only recently I've been like studying more about all the different, like, as you know, levels of, of like what socialism and which like left ideology you might, you know, lean towards. But from the very beginning, I think it all really comes down to just socialism in general, like communism and socialism. Uh, I was never really like quite aware on how you would go about ruling a country of whatever million people 
under one specific uh, set of like ideologies, you know? So I was never really thinking about that. I was mostly thinking about just the most to the point. It's like working people need help. <laughs> like I saw, you know, all these farmers who are the ones that provide all the food for everybody be the most poor. And it just didn't make any sense to me. So I don't know what label really that would fit under, but really it's just, it's just social. It's just, I don't know, being a human being, like it's just being socialist and caring about your community. Like, you you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's the unfortunate history of socialism and communism then turning into a dictatorship. Um, and so we've never really had, like, what does taking care of your community without that kind of power dynamic actually look like? It's true. I mean, um, there has been some places that have tried, like, a more, um, I guess it would be more in the anarchist uh, point of view, you know, uh, autonomous zones and, and, and stuff like that. I know Spain has tried, you know, I think the Ukraine had for a while, something like that. In other places right now, uh, in Syria, northern Syria, Rojava is trying something along those lines. So people do try, you know. But yeah, the, the main form of socialism that has been practiced, as we all know, has almost always turned into authoritarian dictatorships. Mm -hmm. And that, that's why it has given it such a bad name, too, you know. A lot of people don't go past, like, they don't focus on the ideologies of what it actually means they just focus on how it has been implemented by other governments. So, you know. Yeah, exactly right. Like thinking that the ideas can't be applied because of what has happened in the past, but not actually taking into account the different dynamics and levels that were present in the past. Totally. And, and also you got to look at the positives and maybe, maybe it failed and it evolved into an authoritarian dictatorship in, in some places, but at one point or another, you know, they were the immediate help that it brought the people, right? Like in Cuba, for example, like one of the first things that Castro did was like, they took like all the teachers and all the, all the best students or whatever. And like, they stopped school for like a year or two or something. And they sent all the teachers and best students all over the country to teach everybody how to read and write. Uh, it took like something like two or three years to bring the illiteracy rate to pretty much non-existent. Um, and then, you know, brought her back and, and then, yeah, school's back to normal now that everybody can read and write. It's cool, you know, so there's a lot of positives that came out of some, you know, of some of the negatives. For example, the negatives in Cuba, they, they I think they were like pretty homophobic at the time also, you know. So, yeah, there's lots. It is so complicated. You can't boil it down into one system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so taking that that kind of mindset and bringing it here how has it inspired your activism or what has your activism looked like in the past few years that you're kind of living that living those ideas now well um it's weird you know when i first moved here in 97 like i said i was it was still fresh to me right i, I had just moved here so all the things that i saw and the reasons why we moved like my grandma moved as a as a refugee, we moved as residents, you know, so it's definitely different. Um, but I think that once I got here, once I started living here, all I wanted, I didn't, I, I kind of stopped thinking about all that. And all I wanted to do was just assimilate, right? Like, you know, 
we spoke about like my name. Most people know me as Alex, but that name, my mom and I just chose when I first moved here to be like, hey, let's just make it easy on everybody else, you know, because everybody was just like, not maybe not purposely mispronounce my name, but maybe at some times they do purposely try to mispronounce, you know, or whatever, or don't try hard enough to like listen to what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. So we're like, yeah, let's just go with Alex. So anyways, yeah, I just wanted, I'd stop thinking about any of that kind of stuff. Uh, even though it was inside of me, I just didn't wanted to think about it, you know? So years went on without me really being active like that at all. And honestly, only recently, like maybe the last two years, I have actually started to like go back to to who to the way I used to think, you know, about those kind of things. Uh, I've done a lot of more reading recently, get myself more involved on things, you know. Um, here specifically, what I've attached myself to is is just indigenous issues, I guess, because it's the most present thing around me. I mean, I live here in so-called Edmonton, right? So uh, I'm a guest here. And, uh, you know, the same things that were affecting me and people like me back in El Salvador are affecting, you know, those populations here. And I want to be a part of, of the solutions, you know, like I want them to know that I know what it's like. And, uh, and that uh, you know, we we're not gonna just go on living like this isn't an, an everyday issue that needs to stop, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, what kind of, if I could ask, like, what kind of um, endeavors has that led you to? Um, I know a little bit about the activism in Edmonton, but I'm interested. Yeah, here. honestly, I mean, like I remember we talked about this uh, a little while back. I was like, man, there's there's so many like people that do great work here, uh, organizers, like I can only imagine the headaches uh, from, from doing something like that, you know, organizing events, uh, mutual aid, outreach, you know, uh, rallies, everything, right? Like it's so difficult to do that. It takes a lot of, like, it's a lot of stress and, and uh, you know, takes a toll on your mental health. Um, I've, I've never organized anything major like that, you know, but I make myself available. I try to like volunteer sometimes if possible, or like, you know, if they're, if they're requesting for donations or whatever, I I go around and try to collect some things Mm -hmm. Um, and, and attending rallies, you know, like uh, I know how important it is to, to want to have people there, you know, to show support. Uh, So that's kind of what I, what I try to do the most is just like be there and show up, you know, financial aid when possible, um, and just educating myself on the on the things that are happening, I think that's huge too. You know, like I might not be able to organize something, but if I educate myself on the things that are happening, I think that helps the cause a lot. Because then I can talk to other people about it. You know. Yeah, yeah. And so you you were present for the Black Lives Matter rallies this year in Edmonton. Uh, last year, twenty twenty. Oh, I, I'm mixing these two. There, it's one year, twenty 2020, twenty and twenty twenty one. It has been. It's the year of COVID, right? Right. <laughs> just, we'll get to twenty twenty two, and it's only been one year. <laughs> and so, how did that? How do you feel like that spoke to your activism? Just you being present in those Black Lives Matter moments. 
it's cool, you know. I mean, it was cool to see. Um, there was a few. I mean, there was that one big rally right in the summer, um, but there was other ones that were not so, you know, uh, publicized or whatever, led by students, and those were the ones that impacted me the most. You know, um, these are all pretty young people who are so aware. And like I was telling you earlier, from the ages of like 13 to like, you know, like 30 or whatever, I uh, I was not very active or anything like that. And and then I'm going here to these rallies of like led by like youth, you know, whether it was the, the BLM rallies um, or some indigenous um, rallies that were at the ledge too, led by, by, you know, like these indigenous youth that are so strong and brave and smart and um you know it's just like i think those were the ones that impacted me the most because i i just uh i love to see how aware um the youth is of of all these things that are happening and uh i'm just like yeah man right on like you know especially with the indigenous youth i'm like you lead and i'll follow like let's go let's do this Mm -hmm. is there like a moment from this year that you found like hit you right in the feels had an impact on you that was a little different than everything else? Um, I don't know. Um, one of, one of the first rallies that I attended, uh, it was, um, it was because the, when the UCP first got elected, they were, uh, trying to change the rules for the GSAs, the gay straight alliances in schools, you know? So there was, a uh, there were some rallies going on at the ledge regarding this. And uh, I remember all these like, you know, like white supremacist racist dicks started showing up and like taking photos and videos of like LGBTQ plus kids, you know, just trying to talk and uh, you know, like what the hell man. So we had to, you know, make a line, you know, and, and just kind of like get in the way and, and try to cover their cameras and stuff like that. And the sense of like community that I got from that moment was, uh, I don't know, it was pretty impactful for me. It, it, it meant a lot to me and uh, it made things super real, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And so you like Tate, I guess actually before I go into the next part, um, I also want to ask your thoughts on the, the camps in Edmonton. Um, because I realize that the houseless population issue in Edmonton is a lot larger than where I live. Um, and y- there's been a lot of, in my opinion, good work um, that has been trampled over by bylaws um, that I don't agree with. And so I was wondering if you had anything to say on that. Yeah, I wish I wish I, I was more involved in into those... Uh, I wish I would have volunteered more when I had the chance uh, for the camp uh, Pecky Wewen, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. And then there's the Peace Camp, I believe, also. Yeah, there was two. Yeah, there was the main one downtown, and then the Peace Camp, I believe, was uh, kind of closer to White Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew even less about that one, to be honest. Although we did, again, have to show up and, and make a line when the cops were, the first time they were um, threatened to you know, evict the uh the camp Mm -hmm. um the organizers did amazing i mean it's crazy like something that the government uh you know city politics whatever hasn't been able to do in years 
they did in like a few months, you know, they provided a place where people felt safe, you know, and I remember the city officials being like, oh, like we have these like shelters they can go to. Yeah. Ask yourselves, why do they feel safer going to a camp like this more than your shelters? You know, like there's they it's weird. Like city officials say that they like want to help. I mean, the mayor here, he was going to end, you know, according to him, the homeless situation in 10 weeks. Right. Like, okay. He literally said that he anyways, you know, so this community is able to to provide something that city officials with all these millions of dollars can't and just won't, you know, um, that just tells you right there, you know, like you said before, these these bylaws that just get in the way of like humanitarian aid, you know, like you're letting people freeze to death in the winter. You know, we have empty like buildings and stores and houses and and mansions and all these things. And people are dying outside frozen Mm -hmm. because of bylaws. Yeah. You saw the video recently of um, the cops taking out those people out of the um, train station. Yeah. You know, like they were like actively being helped already by community, you know, bear clan. and, and the comp, yeah, by a bear clan. Uh, what's it called? Bear clan. Uh, beaver, bear clan, beaver, bear clan, something. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Sorry, bear clan. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I can't remember the, the name, but I mean, they were already being helped and, you know, luckily they were there to, to kind of capture and, and bring forward what these cops are doing because how many times does it happen when there's nobody there to film you know uh i don't i just don't understand and and it's crazy to think that like i said well actually no it's not crazy to think i know it all along the community will always be a better place for for help than any kind of government yes yeah and it's unfortunate in edmonton too that that they would say and it's kind of similar to calgary like go to these shelters um, but Edmonton, it's a way bigger problem. You go to the shelter and it's full. You go to the shelter and it's full. You go to the shelter and it's full. Um, like I know in Calgary, um, there's only one, I want to know maybe two places you could go um, if you're using. Otherwise, you have to be sober. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. to ask people who self-medicate to be sober, I think is just immoral. But that's... For just- sure. And and that's just one of the rules. I mean, there's, there's uh, I think just recently, there might be a brand new co-ed um shelter here in Edmonton maybe I'm wrong though but I that was a huge issue you know like uh they were they were all separated right or there wasn't enough like locker room space for them to to kind of keep their items safe um sometimes um these community members have like you know pets and the or they wouldn't allow pets at the shelters and stuff like that and and then yeah the sober thing is just one of the most ridiculous ones you know mm. <laughs> like you just put up all these rules just to not help Right. Yeah, I like exactly. It's I feel like it's tough to have the conversations of change with people who don't have the depth of understanding of what things could be. Um, And I don't mean that in like a disrespectful way. I just mean that there's a lot of people that that hasn't crossed their mind for whatever reason, because they've never been in that situation. They don't have the background experience, etc. And just having that conversation of capitalism versus community i think is is difficult well yeah and and i think you're what you're outlining is the issues with political structures you know um because political structures are not 
often made up of of the community who's who's um, who will be actively affected by the decisions made by those structures. You know, so that's probably why we never see changes, and that maybe that's why there's always issues with uh, states that run, you know, supposedly under communist or socialist like ideologies, but never end up actually turning out for the people. Um, and that's why I like anarchism because it allows the individuals to, to, you know, rule themselves and, and to, and to find a community that wants to be part of that type of like, you know, society and, and just like take care of each other because, Having a centralized structure, to me, doesn't seem to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like, what would be your ideal community structure? Just for um, you personally. Like, you don't have to. Like, globally, yeah. I know it would be difficult. Yeah, it's, especially because the the size of countries and, and the amount of population. Um, I think uh, for me... It would have to be autonomous, you know. Uh, you would have to be built in community. Um, I, I, I would want for products and and materialistic things to be available by for by need. You know, like if somebody needs something, we make it for them, right? Like instead of by profit, right? Like not just because you can make some, I don't want things to be made just because you can sell it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's very important because it would reduce so much of the waste and so much of the energy spent on creating products that just sit there. Uh, I would like to see a community that takes care of each other, you know, horizontally, no no hierarchy, no no levels of, of uh, power, you know? Um, but I do see that that would be very difficult with the more people you have involved, you know, that's how I would like to live. And I have to respect the fact that some of the people may not want to live like that. You know, they, somebody else may want to rule themselves differently than the way I want to rule myself. So that's also comes into consideration when it comes to building bigger communities, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so important, right? Like there's never going to be one solution. And if we think we have the one solution, then we're going to be part of the problem. A hundred percent. Like I, I have the solution for me or not even like I have an idea of, of what a solution will look like for me. Um, but there's no way I could ever enforce that into somebody else. I mean, I'll talk about it mm-hmm. and try to convince you, <laughs> but I wouldn't push you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's those conversations that I think we, we have to push for. Like it's, I want to hear you. If and do you want to hear me? Because um, there's and I find a lot too when someone asks you, like, what is your idea? It's normally a platform for their ideas. So like, I've been in so many conversations and someone's like, what What are your political ideologies? And I'll say two sentences, and then they're in there being like, okay, well here's mine. So I think like listening. Like, I really, really try if I ask someone a question not to offer my perspective unless I'm asked for it. And that is increasingly difficult. <laughs> so. I know exactly what you're saying. You know how, like, that whole thing where somebody tells you their name and you immediately forget? Um, they say it's because when they're telling you their name, you're thinking about what you're going to say uh, as a response. So you're not actually listening. 
So I imagine that happens a lot <laughs> when having tough political conversations and opinions. Mm -hmm. uh, it happens in personal relationships when you're having a fight with a partner, you know, you're like not listening to them at all. You're just like mad and thinking about what you're going to say when it's your turn to talk. Uh, so yeah, it's important. And, and that self-control, right? Like to be like, okay, if I'm going to dedicate myself to this person, I'm going to listen to them. And, and like you said, then if they're not asking me for my opinion as a response, then why give it? Right. Yeah. And it's, we're going to get there. I feel like, like in, in schools here, I don't think we teach a lot of communication or critical analysis, critical thinking type skills. But I think that's something that like, a lot of community leaders and community builders are bringing into the solutions now. And if we can work on that, it, in my opinion, this is about you, but <laughs> in my opinion, that's something that that could build communities like the ones that you're talking about. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an important part, right? Like we're not going to get anywhere if if we don't have that open communication and, and, and listening to, to the needs, right? Like we're all we all talk about mutual aid and helping each other. OK, then it starts by listening to what they need, not what we think they need. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's beautiful. Great. And so is there anything else that you want to add in about your activism before we shift into your music? Um, no, not really. I mean, you know, like I said before, like uh, I'm not, I'm not, I have, there's nothing about me that it's like extraordinary. I don't organize things like some of the, the peers that I, you know, see and talk to and, and whatever. Um, I don't know much about theory. I, I don't like, you know, read about that too, too much. Um, but don't let any of those things uh, stop you from from considering yourself, you know, an accomplice and, and somebody who cares about your community because there's so many ways to be part of this, right? You don't, like, I mean, we need those, like, front leaders, you know, but we need more than that too, right? We need just members of the community to just be, you know, we need artists, we need people who do podcasts, we need people who play in bands, we need people who like, like, you know, may not be so active out in the front lines, but maybe bring these conversations to work, right? And start changing the the thinking of like uh, our coworkers who in a lot of the industries of the jobs that we have here in Alberta are most, I'm generalizing, but most people are more conservative. So bringing these conversations back to work and talking about them, you know, it helps, right? So there's so many ways to be part of, of this change. Uh, and you shouldn't be discouraged by not knowing as much as somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Thank you for saying that. And so your music, you have, you have a lot of music, but we're going to focus specifically on Sacrificial Rights, which is your, your, your baby. Mm -hmm. um, but you've been in other bands such as um, Panic Attack, Chips Avoy, Mortality, um, Intensives. What am I missing? Uh, Narcotta. That was Mortillery. Right. Martilla, um, I said it wrong again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you, you mentioned them all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so you have a long line of awesome music. But today, um, if you're looking for sacrificial rights online, you're not going to find it. <laughs> but we're no, going to talk about not, it. We actually never, we were short-lived. Like, we only played, like, two or three shows, you know. 
uh, lasted for less than a year, recorded a five-song um, EP, but never got to release it, um, maybe in the future. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. Yeah. But until then, um, why is this, this particular project important to you? Um, I, musically, I think it's just something that I always wanted to, to do. Um, you know, I, I've been in other bands before, that played a lot of my favorite like genres and stuff, you know, like I was in a thrash band and, and like a 77 kind of punk band, stuff like that, you know? Um, and I really liked that kind of stuff. But when we did Sacrificial Rights, I think it was where it was, it was, it was cool because it is a band that sounded like something I always wanted to watch, which I think it's like pretty rad to be able to, to be in a band of, you know, of like, something that for sure you would love to see live, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed listening to it. I It was great. Awesome. It's my kind of jam. <laughs> and, and so the you were, you're in that band with your your partner and your friend. Yeah, Miranda. Yes. And she was a bass player. And uh, my buddy Nick was playing drums. Awesome. And so today let's we're going to talk about the two songs that that stood out to you. Um, the first one, Rule of the Land. That one's cool. Um, mm-hmm. Also, thank you for sending me the lyrics because um, I, I, I mean, I've, I listen to so much of that music that I can, I can generally get what people are saying, but it's not consistent. So thank you. Um, yeah, no problem. <laughs> and so let's, let's get into that song a little bit. Did you write the lyrics? Yes, I did. Thanks. And so what inspired you to write those lyrics? Um, a lot of my music isn't like, you know, um, very specific to any like, uh, moment in time or, or event or anything like that. It's more like, like more in the, um, philosophical poetic kind of thing. Like, I just like to talk about topics and, and, you know, just make them sound cool. I like rhyming a lot in my music. Like every second sentence has to rhyme or whatever. (laughs) Uh, so I just kind of sit there and like think about uh, a theme. So that one's rule of the land, and it was just kind of like, kind of like about a cat anarchism, you know, and just like, you know, um, following those types of like ideologies, right? And I just kind of sit and just like come up with a couple of cool lines, and then try to like expand the story that I'm trying to tell, but still make it rhyme. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I like that you said in the song, like, the answer is simple, rule of the land, and, like, definitely, like, who is in charge is, it determines if we're fucked or not. Um, Yeah, and if you, and if the land is in charge, then you should probably be pretty okay. Right, yeah, and so, yeah, natural law versus human law and what we have imposed onto ourselves is, I think, so important to talk about and not something that most people would consider. Yeah, that's that's cool that you. I guess it's it is pretty obvious, but I didn't think. You know, when you write music, you don't really think that somebody's gonna sit there and talk to you about it. So this is kind of cool. <laughs> uh, even though it's been years since those songs were written, um, I never thought that I would ever have to sit and like. And, and it's cool because you got it. You got exactly what I was trying to say. And awesome. uh, so that's sweet. That makes me feel good. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to say on it for the people that might not get it? Um, well, you know, like I said, it's just, it expresses how I feel, you know, and, and how I want to live and the things that are important to me, 
you know, um, it, it, and it seems simple and obvious, like, I want to follow the rule of the land, not rule of man, you know, um, I believe we all have an obligation to, to be, to do right, you know, to earth and, and just appreciate what we have and where we live. And uh, I wish a lot of more people understood that and that way we could make a society that follows that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I really agree. Um, and so the next song that you sent, Sound of Silence, love the name, of course. <laughs> Would you like to expand on that song a little bit more? Um, yeah. Again, this one was just like, um, I mean, the lyrics are pretty down. They're pretty depressive. <laughs> but it just goes with the music, you know. I mean, it sounds it sounds great. The, I think I, I, I had the name of the song first, just Sound of Silence. It just sounded cool, you know. Um, and I just wanted to make a song that was eerie and dark and like, you know, sad. Yeah. I think we did a pretty good job at it, you know, getting those feelings across. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you name your song Sound of Silence, you, you kind of know where you're. you're <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so like what I got from it, and I'm not sure if it's right, is like the difficulties that activist like an activist mindset would have in this kind of social structure like yeah i think the song talks about like you know maybe maybe not so obviously about the mental health toll that it takes from having a specific set of like ideologies uh in this case we can take it and talk about like uh political ideologies but I don't think the song necessarily has to be about that. I think in general, it's just the, the how hard it is and how hard we are on ourselves um, when we need to, when, when we need to like follow a structure of thinking because, you know, that's just who you are. Right. So it's kind of saying, it's kind of saying, Hey, like it's really difficult to, to be you in this, you know, time and place and uh and i hear you <laughs> and sometimes you just want to escape to a dark hole and i can totally understand why mm -hmm. yeah yeah that is very relatable in my opinion and important and i do hope that one day you you release this music to the people <laughs> so that i do they too can i really it. want to yeah and maybe make a second a second ep i don't know well the, the band broke up and um who knows if if like we would ever get back together to jam again you know and like I don't I think I would you'd be like, oh start the band with somebody else. But I think like the members that were in that band were the perfect members. So if it's not with us three, then the band can't be. Oh, I hear you. It was perfect how it is. I love it. And so to wrap wrap all this together with a perfect bow, um, do you have a final statement for the people? Just um, you know, keep thinking about your community. Um Let's think about the privileges that we have. Um, let's put the actual needs of the community before our ideologies, before, you know, anything that we have convinced ourselves of how things should or shouldn't be. Um, you know, don't give up on yourselves and on the people around you. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is awesome. I like this. Tight. Cut.